Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. Kyle, if that's true, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. I'm Joe Marino of NDT Scouting and Fan Rag Sports, joined by Kyle Krabs, who's the founder and director of scouting with NDT Scouting, also with Fan Rag Sports. We are your hosts here on a Monday edition of the Draft Dudes Podcast. We're going to talk about the weekend that was in college football uh, from an NFL draft scouting perspective. And for a weekend that was supposed to be light, in uh, in marquee matchups, Kyle, we certainly uh, had quite the thrilling weekend. Four top ten teams losing to unranked teams, no less, and uh, a lot to get into. How are we doing today, Kyle? Yeah, you want to talk about Washington State, Joe? Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, man. Yeah. Hey, 45-minute pre-show, Kyle. I didn't think you'd have anything to drink, but you, you, you saved a sip there, huh? Uh, yeah, I, I made multiple cups of coffee at 10, okay. 10 p.m. on a Sunday night. So that tells you everything you guys need to know. That's Kyle Krabs for you. That's 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 what I'm dealing with, folks. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, it was, it was funny. I saw somebody say it. I don't remember who it was, but it was like Thursday night. It was like they, they put out a tweet that said something along the lines of no ranked matchups this weekend, but you know that means it's going to have crazy upsets. And, yeah, I'd say so. With uh, LSU coming back from a big deficit to knock off Auburn, um, obviously Washington State getting smoked, like boathoused by Cal, um, which you know, I think Luke Falk just hit another three-yard check down while we're at it. Um, Washington scoring seven points at Arizona State. Mm-hmm. And uh, Clemson going down. Uh, to an upstart Syracuse program. I think that's the one I'm, I'm the happiest about, which um, is not a shot at Clemson because I really like that football program. I'm going to talk about one of their players I've been, been talking about on the show here for quite a while uh, when we get into some of the individual performances from the week that was. But I really like Coach 
Coach Babers. And, you know, getting a chance to listen to Coach Dino when they did the coaches film for the national championship game last year and listening to him talk and pick apart the game, really enjoyed that that opportunity to get to know him, if you will. Uh, so happy to see that success come for Coach Babers in the Syracuse program because um, a win like that can do wonders for your football program. Yeah, he's a ton of fun, man. Um, Cal, before we get into the individual notes that we have from this weekend from an NFL draft scouting perspective, I do have a number. And uh, I'll give it to you now. Uh, We are 192 days away from the 2018 NFL draft. And in 1990, the Denver Broncos selected a tight end with the 192nd pick in the draft out of Savannah State. None other than, than, excuse me, Shannon Sharp. That's twice, man. Shannon. Yeah, that's a pretty nice pick there, you know, just – grabbing yourself a, a tight end out of a small school and uh, going on to help you win a couple Super Bowls and go in the Hall of Fame. And that's how that's how, uh, that's how drafting's done, man. Oh, and, you know, as, as hard of a game as football is, I think Shannon probably has the hardest job he's ever had <laughs> now having to work with uh, just – I'm not even going to call – I'm not even going to pick a name. There's so many names that come to mind. Skip Bayless. Every freaking day. I cannot imagine. So bless you, Shannon, for uh, patience of what I assume is a saint uh, for, for working with Skip on a daily basis. Well, for half of what Shannon gets paid, I'll sit in that seat. No. I don't, I don't think <laughs> oh. you could pay me enough to sit in that seat. Oh, I'd, I'd be there. I'd oh, be there. Man. Uh, well, I'd be there. Some of us have pride, Joe. I'm too prideful <laughs> for that. Oh, I'm not prideful to take in six bills and <laughs> and argue with Skip Bayless for an hour every day. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. That says what you need to know about me. <laughs> with, uh, with all due respect, you're not quite as handsome as Shannon is, though. Oh, of course not, no. Sh- Shannon's got, like, one of the all-time great jaw lines. Yeah. Yeah, he's – that picture with him in the, in the, in the Hennessy and – Oh, yeah, the Henny. <laughs> yeah, it was uh... – <laughs> His dating website profile pick, I guess. I don't yeah, know, man. yeah, it's, 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 it's an all-time keeper there. Yeah. So let's get into the scouting takes that we have from from the weekend in college football. Kyle, I guess I'll, I'll take honors here. Uh, I made my way back to Durham, my second game for um, go heading up that way to see the Duke Blue Devils this time against Florida State and uh, the one and three. Florida State Seminoles, kind of surprising. They have had a dreadful start to the season with the Hurricane and DeAndre Francois, their star quarterback, going down. But uh, they they found a, a way to get a win, and if they can go 5-1 and one the rest of the way, they can make a bowl game. So <laughs> really weird year for Florida State. But I want to focus my, my takeaways from this game on two players on defense for Florida State, uh, the first one being safety Derwin James. He was the priority for me going into this game to see where he lined up uh, and how he's used and how he functioned against a Duke offense that kind of offers all all types of elements in terms of horizontal passing, uh, outside zone, inside run. They'll do some gap stuff. They'll they'll work the middle parts of the field. So that would be a nice showcase for him and in, in the different things that he'll be asked to do at the next level. And uh, Derwin lined up everywhere. He lined up in the box. He lined up in single high. Uh, he lined up in deep zones underneath stuff so he played a lot of roles but uh he wasn't tested all that much in coverage but what stood out to me in this game from him was his tackling ability and he took some 
took some criticism lately for his his whiffs in space and maybe some some bad angles and the you know the touchdown pass that he failed to square up against uh, NC State you know is one that everyone wants to point to but this this was an outstanding showcase for him and um, he still took very aggressive angles but they were correct angles but his ability to finish was outstanding um, when he arrived man he arrives with a ton of power. And that was evident on several tackle attempts in this game. And he had five solo tackles and at least three of them were on third downs where he was the last line of defense and he had to make the play. And I, I shared a gif of one of those on Sunday morning. So check that my timeline, you'll, you'll see an example of that, but this was a really good showcase of Derwin James and his ability to finish his ability to take good angles and, and doing so with the same level of physicality that made everyone excited about him to begin with. So he's a multi-dimensional player that can do a lot of different things. And, and uh, he, he was the best player on the field. And for me, still a highly regarded safety prospect in this crop. The other player that I wanted to focus on in this game was Tavares McFadden, the cornerback uh, for Florida state. And, you know, he's a guy that was on our, uh, our all draft eligible midseason team. And, um, I don't think he played his best game. I'll be honest with you. He wasn't tested very often in coverage. Uh, actually, I think maybe only one time it was a sideline route where he mistimed his jump and the ball got over his head and completed a pass, set up Duke for a long play. And uh, when they were driving to try to tie the game at the end, uh, the, stall, the drive stalled, but uh, it was a mistimed leap. But what really rubbed me the wrong way was when Duke actually went and tied the game. There were three plays in a row on that drive where he was asked to make tackles and he was passive two times. It was a rocket screen out to his receiver. And you could tell he was just not really wanting to square up and, you know, drive his shoulder into the man wrap up and, and, and bring, you know, bring some physicality to the, to the uh, point of attack. And uh, then on the last play it was a run play where he was challenged and he very passively tried to square up in space and, and he easily, allowed the, the, the running back to break through and, and, and scored a touchdown. And, you know, look, I, I really don't like that. I want to see my corners. I want to see them pick their spots. Like I don't want, it's not necessary every time to come up and lay the wood on somebody, you know, as an assistant tackler, but when you're in space and you need to make a play to save a touchdown in a game, that's a one, one possession game, you got to step in, step in there and make the play. And he didn't show that aggressive tackling mentality that I look for in my defensive backs. So it's kind of a tale of two guys here, both highly regarded prospects. Derwin James was the physical finisher that I want to see. And Tavares McFadden was passive when had, when he had chances to be physical. So um, those are my biggest takeaways on the game. And, and uh, you know, I was glad, I was really happy to see that for Derwin James have a good performance. Yeah. I thought Derwin played great. The tackle that you posted on Twitter um, was just terrific. <laughs> he just he just body bagged somebody, uh, and and he really is a special athlete as well as uh, versatile defensive player. So I think it's important not to focus on his versatility as a bad thing, if that makes sense, Joe. I know sometimes that that yeah, that's something that sure. that you see people get wrapped up in is oh well he's here he's there he's all over the place and. Um, this is something that you could probably look back to what Lance Zerline, who, who we had on the guest as, as a guest on draft dudes two weeks ago, talked about, if a guy's going to be all over the place, then you just, you really need to covet the reps 
that are at the spot that you think he fits best. But that also means you can look at him from a number of different angles and try and find a working role. And if you find a working role, then then don't dock him for being versatile, I think. Uh, Joe, the first guy I want to talk about is um, Baker Mayfield from, from Oklahoma. Um, just a terrific game against Texas. If If not his best game as far as accuracy... I think this is as good as a showcase as you're going to get for uh, what Baker can do at the NFL level against this defense. Texas' defense is pretty solid, and uh, they got a lot of team speed. Uh, They don't have a lot of great pass rushing uh, ability in in relation to some of the other pass rushers that are in college football right now, but um, Baker was so tough in this game. Baker got hit in the early, midway through the third quarter, I think. He was trying to spin out of a sack and threw the ball away. And when he hit the ground, his arm was extended out away from his body, uh, face down. And then a defensive tackle falls on top of his body and, and really put that shoulder in an awkward situation. You can see him immediately grab his throwing shoulder, uh, held it tight as he walked off the field. And uh, it, it receives some medical attention, and, and you know, the backup starts warming up, and, and Baker actually doesn't miss a snap. And he comes out, and Texas makes this big push, like Oklahoma jumps out 20 nothing. Texas finds themselves in the lead, and uh, after that hit to his shoulder, Baker throws a perfect strike up the, the right sideline to Mark Andrews for a 59-yard touchdown. And I was really impressed with Baker keeping his eyes down the field, making things happen by continuing to survey and look for his his receivers uncovering. I mean, he did run seven times. He ran seven times for 27 yards, and this is a week after running uh, 11 times for 57 yards against Iowa State in a game that they lost. Uh, Oklahoma, you can't really pin that on Baker for – uh, giving up 38 points or whatever it was on defense. Um, so Baker goes 17-27, to 27, which is a 63% completion percentage for 302 yards, two touchdowns, and his first interception of the year. Um, it was, again, the same things that we you, you hear people talk about. It probably sounds like hyperbole, but it's really not. Uh, poise, eyes down the field, playmaking ability, making things happen off script. Uh, Baker sustained his style of play against a very fast-to-flow physical Texas defense that was very fired up. And for three quarters of that game, um, Texas had the momentum. And and Baker and Oklahoma kind of withstood that. Texas takes the lead. Uh, Baker keeps his eyes down the field, avoids the rush, makes a a, a good throw uh, all on that drive to retake the lead, which ended up being the difference in the game. So Baker... He, he's, I think he has the opportunity to be a day two type target for somebody. And if you put him, I, I think, Joe, another thing, not to just totally hijack this conversation and go a different way all over again, but personality is something that we want to gloss over sometimes. We, we, we don't want to focus on that piece of players. Um, 
and there's all kinds of different personalities that can generate responses that you're looking for from your teammates and from opponents and so on and so forth. Uh, Baker's a great competitor. You can tell that team loves him, and he is very matter of fact and, and very confident. And you know, he calls Baylor, tells Baylor to call him Daddy, which I think is badass. Uh, in this game, you know, he leads by example. So there's some intangible things that you can start to get into with Baker. That if you add that to what I think is a workable skill set. I think gives him a much greater chance for success in the long run. Are you saying that his teammates are going to go to his birthday party? His teammates will go to his <laughs> birthday party. I will I will confirm and guarantee okay. that. Yeah. Good, good. Please do. Kyle, I want to bring a new name to the table, a guy that's popped a few times for me this season, but I thought he had his best game on Saturday against Texas A&M, and I'm referring to Florida defensive lineman Taven Bryan. And, uh, and this dude's an animal. I'm uh, not sure – if you've had a chance to see a lot of him, I know you, you mentioned some some different things that you were told preseason about him and just that he's a guy that's highly regarded in that program. But, uh, man, uh, he he's popped, but he, I feel like he played his best game against Texas A&M. He had seven tackles and a tackle for loss uh, and, a sack, and a sack and a half, excuse me, and um, leading the team in sacks this year. And I don't want to say this lightly, but he looks like J.J. Watt. Like the way that he looks, the way that he plays, the way that he attacks with his hands with overwhelming power right at the line of scrimmage and initiates contact and really tries to win reps early with powerful hands. This dude, man, he's just a physical, powerful man. And uh, he plays through blocks and he reads the backfield and gets to the football. And, you know, he's he's a lot of times more disruptive than he is productive, meaning that his the the tackles for loss sacks stats don't necessarily follow the amount of disruption that he's doing on any given play by just completely blowing up the offensive line. But my goodness, man, this guy is overwhelming and he's a, uh, he's getting, you know, Florida, Florida rotates a ton on their defensive line. I'm, I know that you've noticed that with all the guys that we've scouted from there over the last several years, but uh, you know, he, he's worked in and out quite a bit and um, he's now in his third year. And this is a junior player that, Man, I he he really gets me excited, and I want to see a whole lot more of him and take a deeper dive. But there is a foundational skill set that I was able to pick up from on this game that leads me to believe this could be a really special player. Yeah, he he's got disruptiveness, and, and those disruptive tendencies, um, yeah, it, it's not hard to let him catch your attention, right? Like, yeah. He's, he's, well, and he's, he's very dynamic. And he's different, though. Like like the Caleb Brantley, Jonathan Bullard guys, even mm-hmm. Sharif Floyd a little mm-hmm. bit, those guys were the one-gap penetrators, just quick out of their stance or had good snap anticipation and were able to get the field. This man, like, is the kind of guy that just controls the line of scrimmage. Like, he can penetrate because he's going to play through blocks. Right. He's not, but he's, I'm not saying he's, he's not like a one-gap penetrator, man. This is a – a powerful dude that I think can easily play two gaps and be an imposing player on the defensive line at the next level. Oh, I totally agree. Um, I, unfortunately, my next one's not an unfamiliar name, but he does deserve some recognition <laughs> after hitting three and a half sacks against Syracuse. I promised you guys we'd talk about somebody on this, the Clemson defense. Uh, Cleveland Farrell, three and a half sacks against Syracuse. 
five and a half tackles for loss against Syracuse. Uh, monster game, nine solo tackles. Uh, I had the opportunity to see Cleveland play against Virginia Tech in person this year. Um, but this this has been his standout performance. He played very well in the second half against Auburn as well. Uh, so he hasn't been consistently on like what you see from like Nick Chubb, who can we give Nick Chubb uh, yeah. a little love for staying in the game with a finger that, as I worded it to Joe, as I sent him uh, the image while he was in the press box in, in Raleigh, I said his, his pinky finger made a left at Albuquerque. Uh, that, that thing was straight up 90 degree angle. And uh, also hat tip to the, the trainer who popped that thing in on the sideline. <laughs> it was back in before anybody knew what happened. Um, so uh, our thoughts are with your pinky finger, Bradley Chubb. Please don't let it impact your play for the rest of the year because you've been tremendous. Um, Farrell hasn't had that high level of consistency with his splash plays, but his presence has always been there. His presence and ability to command attention and protection schemes and causing disruption and QB hits and QB pressures and and slanting into gaps. It's always been there. This just happens to be the game uh, that Cleveland shows up in the stat sheet. And sometimes football's weird like that, where you can do uh, a lot of great things but not get recognized with a formal statistic for them. So um, I, 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 I'm still sticking to my guns. I know Arn Key got a game-sealing sack against Auburn. Uh, Bradley Chubb has played lights out. Um, but Cleveland Farrell, for me, if you're looking at the entire crop of eligible pass rushers for 2018 – is the guy because he's got length, he's got burst, he's got power, he's got the ability to stand up and work out of a two-point stance and rush the passer and keep his burst. He can work a little bit in the flats, but it's not it's not where he's going to play at the next level. But it's a testament to his his athleticism for a, a player of his size and stature. He's listed uh, six five two sixty, and to to play in a two-point stance and be asked at the college level against in ACC competition to get out into the flat and play some zone coverage and then come back the very next play and rush the edge as a pass rusher and, and duck the inside shoulder and, and win with length and hand counters and all of those things. No, it, it's just, it's, and he's young too. He's young. So redshirt sophomore defensive end, um, uh, there's upside here that you could potentially justify because he's still a young player, but he's very good for where he's at. So uh, I just wanted to give him some recognition on the show today because, you know, I've been talking him up, but you, know, you can search for sack leaders and Cleveland Farrell's not there. We'll give him two more showings like this one, and, and he's going to be right there at the top of the stack leaderboard, Joe. Yeah, he's he's been awesome and uh, crazy to see Clemson go down, man, but uh, certainly not Cleveland Farrell's fault. Um, Last last talking point that I want to get into is this USC Trojans uh, big three on offense. You know, quarterback Sam Darnold, running back Ronald Jones, and wide receiver Deontay Burnett. Really nice trio, man. Um, Ronald Jones, seventeen carries, one hundred and eleven yards against Utah. I really like him, man. He's a uh, he's got a nice blend of elusiveness and power. Uh, plenty of examples in that game where he was able to just show a lot of springy change of direction skills off of his cuts and a lot of power 
when he's challenging tacklers to sustain his balance through contact and continue working up the field. I think he's a really nice back and kind of guy that I think projects as a number one at the next level. And uh, he's, he's just a really nice blend of, of traits. Deontay Burnett, man, he's small, but the way that he attacks the football and competes after the catch, get him on my team, man. Let me put this guy in the slot, give him opportunities to track the ball vertically and make people miss in space. I think he's a, a pretty dynamic football player and he's having a tremendous year. I want to really kind of focus this back on Sam Darnold, who 27 of 50, 358 yards, three touchdowns. He did fumble at least twice, if I recall, three times, three times in this game. He lost all three of them. And, and, and so, you know, they're bad. They are bad. And, and, and it's it's kind of getting old. He's got nine interceptions and however many lost fumbles on the season. And it's double digits. It's it is. It's yeah. yeah, he's he's probably over 20 combined turnovers through like six games or seven games. That's not good. But there's something about Sam that he plays his best, like in the biggest moments, like when his team needs him most, like he finds a way to get it done. And his ability to read defense is still probably the best of any quarterback that we're considering in this class. Like his ability to recognize windows and, and know where to put the ball, where leverage is going to be and understanding where space is going to be. Like, I really like that mental processing that he offers and in his, his ability with his feet has been something that I thought has been really good all season long to extend plays and scramble and uh, make throws on the run. Now I think some of his issues stem from mechanics, from his feet, from his release. And that, leads to some inconsistent ball placement and issues with his release point. But there's a foundational skill set that I think is still really good here. I like how he comes up big in big moments. Maybe he's not a guy that should be considering this year. But, uh, you know, Sam Darnold uh, I've, still came away impressed despite – despite the turnovers that he's had this year. Um, you look at Cal, right? Cal was a game that I think a lot of people thought that USC would – maybe have their hiccup against, and fortunately it came against Washington State. But compare and contrast the way a guy like Luke Falk played against Cal defense and the way that Sam Darnold looked against Cal's defense. And I think that you can see you have one player that's going to play at the next level, and Luke Falk's the guy that's going to struggle. Not that I want to turn into a big you know, crap on Luke Falk, but I think there's some, some things you can pull from their performances against the same Cal defense that provide some insight into – you know, where you can where you can fix your eyes on on Sam and man, I still think there's something there. Maybe it's not gonna be for this draft, but I think Sam Darnold has has a future. It's nice to hear it come from you. Right? Like I've <laughs> I've talked about situational play with Darnold for what, five months? Like not even kidding, five months. Like <laughs> end of May. So hearing you say it and see it and, and know you know, he'll dig himself the hole, but mm-hmm. oddly enough, that's when you're going to get the best that he has to offer. Um, we just got to get him out of those bad habits. What is he, 19? Uh, he's no older than 20. Can't drink legally. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, there's development, right? Development, development, development. Yeah, and I think that's what's important. And one of these days we'll talk about Josh Allen, not today. But uh, there is that's what this scouting stuff is about is is taking an understanding of the traits and skills that they have and understanding what they what those can develop into and you know Sam Darnold could be just a, a situation where it was too much too fast and next year we're talking about 
a player that recaptures the same excitement he had at the end of 2016. We'll see. Yeah, and the other end of this spectrum is where I want to finish today's episode, Joe. Uh, let's talk about Will Greer, quarterback, West Virginia, formerly of the Florida Gators. They sure look like they could use him right now down on Gainesville, huh? Sure could. Um, yeah, so Greer, uh, for those unfamiliar, 2015, comes in, plays, um, what, five games? Kind of gets yeah. them up into the top Maybe ten six. with a ranking, five or six games, um, completes 65% of his passes. He completed. He, he attempted 161 passes with Florida in 2015. Uh, fails a drug test, suspended for a year. Uh, Florida kind of hangs him out to dry, so he, he transfers to West Virginia and sits out 2016 with a, a redshirt transfer here. And now here he is. He's 22 years old. He's in the top 10 in the country in passing yards. He's completing 66% of his passes, averaging 9 yards per attempt with 21 touchdown passes. Uh, He's thrown for over 300 yards in every single game West Virginia has played this year. And you start to look at the success that he's had. And I've been a fan of Will since the summer when I watched you know, some of the 2015 stuff. And you know, knowing West Virginia football as well as I do, because it's one of the closer programs uh, that, that I'm able to travel to you know, each year. And it's a, it's a program I've had the opportunity to go see a game live at each of the past three years now. And, and my fourth one's coming up on the 28th. I'll be there for the Oklahoma State game. So knowing the West Virginia program and, and Coach Holgerson's offense as well as I do, and uh, you could kind of see this coming, that, that the production was going to be there. But if you watch Will play, he's listed 6'2", 215. Uh, his date of birth is April 3rd, 1995. So on draft day this upcoming draft, he will be 23 years old. Uh, you start to put some of these pieces together. Redshirt Jr. Um, if he wants to go NFL, this is this has almost got to be the year. Because, fair or not, NFL teams kind of turn their nose up at a more mature Brandon Whedon aside, right? And we saw how that turned out anyway. Um you have to have some ability to reach your mental peak while you're still at your physical peak. And if you're a 24-year-old rookie, you're 24 and a half, uh, 25 after your first season, you know, it, like it or not, for 95% of players, it takes two or three years to get to you know, your your peak mentally understanding the football game at that level. So Greer, I think, has a really interesting decision to make. And um, they're playing lights out offense in Morgantown. You know, they're fifth in the country in points for. They're averaging 44 points a game. Um, they have three receivers currently on pace to go over 1,000 yards. Gary Jennings, David Sills, and, and Karan White. Uh, David Sills has 12 touchdown catches in six games and 600 yards. Um, he's spreading the ball around. He's not just dialing in and taking advantage of 
a single target there that's just happens to be elite that they can kind of space all over the field. And Will Greer has some parallels to Baker Mayfield that I think make both of them interesting prospects. And what I mean by that, kind of expand on that. I had uh, somebody on my timeline on Saturday say, if Baker Mayfield was six foot two, uh, the NFL would be crazy over Baker Mayfield. And my response was, there is a 6'2 model of Baker Mayfield, and his name's Will Greer. Uh, They both oftentimes, you know, especially when you go back, you look at the Florida film, and then you look at crunch time Will Greer this year, when it's time to make plays and things have to happen and you can't just, you know, execute your primary read. And uh, you got to hold the ball a little bit longer and let things happen. Uh, They're both very apt to making things happen from the pocket, keeping their eyes down the field. They're both just good enough as athletes to make you pay if you're in man-to-man coverage and and he slips the pocket, he can pick up some yardage. Uh, I think Baker's probably a little faster than him, but they have similar running styles as far as the way that they run carry the football. Um, They both like to push the ball. Uh, They are both intelligent with their risks throwing into coverage. They both have good placement in those situations where they will put the ball in a place where the receiver has the opportunity to make the play. They won't just throw into a defender sitting on your hip pocket. If the defender's sitting on your inside hip, he's going to throw the back shoulder either up and over top of the outside shoulder, or he's going to throw a back shoulder throw and let you come back and adjust the football. Um, And they both have big cojones, both these guys. They are not afraid of coverage. They like to challenge. They like to push the ball down the field. Um, West Virginia, I I was there for the the, uh, Virginia Tech game uh, for the season opener, a game that they ended up dropping. Uh, But that game was very low scoring in the first half. And uh, Will made a poor decision on a screen pass that got intercepted in the first half. And then when the offenses really opened up in the second half, uh, Will was shooting it up the seam. He's shooting up the sideline. And um, uh, this game that they had against Texas Tech is a great example of of what he can do in crunch time that I really like. He's kind of got like a clutch team like you see from a Baker Mayfield where Greer throws five touchdowns in this game, and West Virginia scores 22 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to come back and win 46-35. West Virginia was chasing Texas Tech all game. And then the fourth quarter rolls around, and they enter the fourth quarter uh, losing by 11 and end up winning by 11 courtesy of, of Will Greer and the opportunity to make things happen in the passing game. And... Chunk plays. Uh, 32-yard pass from Greer. They got a two-point conversion on that. 17-yard pass from Greer. David Sills, 11-yard pass from Greer. Um, so they, they actually ended up at one point they were down 35-17 and ripped off the last, what, 29 points of the game? Uh, so uh, seeing these execution opportunities is you know, the things we talk about with Sam Darnold seeing that start to come to light for Will Greer you throw that on top of the production that's there and the arm talent that's there and the, the mental toughness that's there and there's a lot to like you throw that on top of his age and his situation I think this is somebody we really need to start considering as being a, a viable 2018 draft prospect
Yeah, he'll add it to the the mix of a polarizing already <laughs> quarterback class, and uh, and it's going to be interesting to look at this entire body of work from these prospects, see which ones are actually in the you know in the draft, who declares, who doesn't, and uh, and stack them up, man. Thank God for numerical scoring. That's all I can say. Yes, it's uh, the tiebreaker to kind of ease our ease our minds a little bit because yep. you know, especially you look at a guy like Greer. And Baker, right? The guys I'm willing to make a comparison to, if they both come out in this class, um, do I just go Baker because he's got a more established long-term resume? Well, no. You look at what does he have on the field. You grade those traits. You let the the peripheral metrics kind of supplement your film grade, and what you get is what you get, and you trust the process. Yep, absolutely. So, Joe, any parting thoughts? on week seven that was in college football? Um, not on college football. I will. I do want to recognize the three and two Miami Dolphins. Thank you. And, Thank you uh, very much. Um, just how proud I am of the Dolphins for overcoming adversity and still haven't played a home game and are three and two. No, I, I'm saying this because I, I, I fully anticipate this backfiring. Uh, just, just like my comments on Friday were. Uh, so, so, uh, fins up, I guess. So, so you're playing the, the karma game. Is what Absolutely. You're me. Now, All of a Joe, sudden, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, if I told you the Miami Dolphins were 12 and four in their last 16 regular season games, what would your reaction be? Yeah. I wanted to die when I saw that earlier. 12 and four. There's no dislike button on Twitter or else I would have hit it. Coaching. Yeah, it the, is. The Dolphins have finally found a viable head coach that you know, makes halftime adjustments. Funny how that works. You know, they've been searching for that since uh, Don Shula left, it seems. So it's it's an interesting time. I'm not, not excited. No, I'm actually kind of melancholy about the team just because of the quarterback situation. And uh, offensively, they're really struggling. But it's been nice to at least see them show a little signs of life. So I'm not, like, excited about the team, which – is so messed up for me to hear myself say because if you would have told me you get a twelve and four run in sixteen games out of this team, uh, I'd have been doing shots. So um, the phone call that I got from you when Rashad Jones had the game clinching interception seemed like you were pretty damn excited, Kyle. Oh, I mean, yeah, we, you, you enjoy every <laughs> win you get. I gotta have fun uh, with it. Yeah, twelve out of your last sixteen seems like they're coming uh, hot and heavy for you and consistently. So. I appreciate it. It's, yeah. it's nice to have some some positive football momentum in my life at the pro level. It's been a long time coming. Hear ya. Sorry, I can't relate anymore, Joe. <laughs> Bill's Mafia struggling over there. Oh, uh, we're not. It's three and two. We three just don't have two. any receivers. You just don't have any long-term prospects. Yeah, but does, you know what? Does it not feel like this team's just going to like totally overhaul everything in the offseason, though? Certain positions, yes. Yeah, just like they did with... Um, the corners, just like they did with uh, you know safety and corner, that'll happen again this year. I'm thinking probably defensive line is a possibility. Maybe linebacker, receivers need it. So uh, you know they're 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 putting together their guys and um, and it, it'll be out. interesting to see if it's two steps forward for three or two steps back for three steps forward type thing, or if they're able to kind of walk that line because that's when you know you got something right when you're able to like retool. And still, like McVeigh in L.A. with the Rams, 
Like, what did they really do? They got one draft class in there of their guys, and they're now sitting here at four and two when the team was terrible last year. Like, when you're able to walk that line, Adam Gase, the year before in Miami, first year coach, go 10 and six, walk that line between getting your guys in the building but still win, that's when you, you really get excited. Well, let's see. I mean, Buffalo's three and two, and, and there's a favorable schedule ahead. And I think Sean McDermott. I believe in him. I really do. Um, and uh, I think he's already overachieved, to be honest with you, So um, with this roster. So I, I, I'm, I am excited about the future. I just don't have any expectations, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it sounds very familiar. We're, <laughs> we're jaded football fans, and that's why we're the draftees. So uh, we'd like to formally thank each and every one of you who took the time out to listen to today's draft dudes uh, for doing so. Make sure you keep up with us. We have... Uh, some interesting conversations coming throughout the course of this week. We have uh, kicked around a couple of ideas that we're pretty excited about. We'll make uh, some formal announcements on some of our social medias when we settle on an idea. So that's a good incentive for you to not just hit subscribe on the Draft Dudes podcast, which we highly recommend that you do, but also swing over to our Twitter accounts. Joe is at the Joe Marino. I am at NDT Scouting. Shoot us a follow on there. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash, hey, you guessed it, NDT Scouting. A um, lot of great stuff in the works. You know, We're going to continue to stay on the road uh, for games. I actually have another weekend off before I hit the road for Morgantown on the 28th. So uh, I'll be live tweeting probably 14 hours of football this Saturday. If you guys are into that sort of thing, you can check that out. Joe, uh, where are you headed this weekend? One more trip to Duke. One more trip to Duke. There you go. <laughs> so, so Joe is uh, going to get to know uh, that drive very, very well. Third time this year. So <laughs> yes. um, all the more reasons to, to stay tuned with us. You know, it's, it's one of the things we really like to hang our hat on is uh, we talk about the scouting process and, and we live the scouting process. We do this, these summer evaluations and we actually hit the road and talk to people at programs and see the players live. And it's a, it's an important piece. And, and we, we do all that work. We're very fortunate to have the opportunity to do so. So uh, take advantage of that, you know, arm yourself with as much knowledge now as you possibly can. If, if you're interested in the draft or interested in college football or and NFL prospects and how it all ties together, which it all ultimately does. I'm Kyle Crabb signing off with Joe Marino. This is the Draft Dudes Podcast. We will talk to you guys on Wednesday. What does your morning sound like? Uh, goodbye, baby. She's finally asleep. Hi, welcome to McDonald's. Can I get a sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles? Mmm. Here's to making your morning routine a little better with a delicious breakfast from McDonald's. Mix and match two of your favorites for just $4. The Sausage McMuffin with Egg and the Sausage Egg and Cheese McGriddles. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.